Good morning, church. I trust that you are well and that you are blessed by the worship. It is my privilege this morning to share the word with you, and it is great to be doing so from church, surrounded by a few of our team members. Throughout our time recording at home, I couldn't help but think, I can't wait until this is over. I can't wait until I'm with my team again, and I can't wait to be back at church. Perhaps those words sound familiar to you. I can't wait. I think all of us have something in our lives that we just can't wait for. And I think it's an interesting phrase because we use it often and in various contexts. We use it when referring to everyday things like, I can't wait to be done with work. I can't wait to go home. I can't wait for dinner. But we also use it in occasions that are are important, like, I can't wait to finish school. I can't wait to start my job, to start my career. I can't wait to get married. I can't wait to start a family. And it is a phrase that we use with different emotions. We often use it with excitement or we use it with frustration. And sometimes it's a combination of both because we're excited for it to happen, but we are frustrated that it hasn't happened yet. But do we really mean it when we say that we can't wait? Are we really that eager that we want to skip the waiting period? See, if we're honest, then we'll all agree that we don't really like the process of waiting. We're impatient. We want something and we want it now. And the truth is that this extends over to our spiritual lives as well. When we are praying for something, when we are asking God for something, we often don't want to wait. We want to see it happen and we want to see it now. But is the waiting really that bad? See, I believe that there are lessons to be learned while we wait. There is an opportunity for growth. What if we changed our perspective from seeing it as this annoying season of passively waiting for time to go by and rather see it as an opportunity to actively prepare ourselves for whatever it is that we are waiting for? See, I think how we wait is more important than how long we wait. Our attitude and our actions in our waiting are defining. So the title of my message this morning is, While I Wait. And that's what I want to challenge you on today. What are you doing while you wait? Oftentimes, waiting becomes this excuse to be passive, to do nothing and just waste time. But I don't want my seasons of waiting to be wasted. I want to use those seasons effectively, making the most of my time of my waiting. What about you? I don't want to waste the wait. I want the wait to have value. So what I do while I'm waiting will determine whether it is time wasted or time well spent. Now, there are various examples in the scriptures that we can look at regarding waiting, but the example we'll be looking at this morning is Joseph in the Old Testament. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the story, or at the very least, you know about the guy with the fancy multicolored coat. But in reading his story and what he went through, I believe that there are lessons to be learned about waiting. See, Joseph was one of 12 of Jacob's sons, and he was his father's favorite, hence the fancy multicolored coat. And when we meet Joseph in chapter 37, we see that he is only 17 years old. And at this young age, God gave Joseph a dream. So we're going to read in Genesis chapter 37, verse 5 to 10. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, when, behold, my sheaf arose and also stood upright, and indeed your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to mine. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? 
Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream. And this time the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars bow down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and I and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Seventeen-year-old Joseph, who is already disliked by his brothers for being his father's favorite, now has these two dreams which imply that one day he is going to have a position above them and that they will bow down to him. Now, it probably wasn't the best move to boast about that to them, but here's what I want to emphasize. God is giving Joseph a glimpse into the future. He is giving Joseph a promise that one day he will hold an important position. That kind of promise is exciting. That's the kind of promise that makes us respond with, I can't wait for that to happen. But further in chapter 37, we see that things took a turn for Joseph. His brothers ended up selling him into slavery. Now, that's not exactly what we would expect to have happened to someone that God has made a promise to, right? And for Joseph, I'm guessing that that wasn't a great morale boost either. Imagine being in his position. God has just given you this amazing promise. And all of a sudden, your world gets turned upside down. You're separated from your family. You're taken to a foreign land and your freedom is taken away. I don't know about you, but if that was the situation that I was in, I wouldn't exactly feel very hopeful about that promise that God had just made to me. But here's what I find interesting. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 1 to 6, it says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all he did prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from the time that he had made him overseer of his house and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in the house and in the field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. See, Joseph could have given up. He could have been passive in his waiting. He had just been taken into slavery, so he could have just done the bare minimum just to get by. But Scripture tells us that Joseph was successful in his new position. He found favor in his master's sight, and the work he did prospered. He was making the most of his new reality, and he was given a position and a responsibility. He oversaw everything that Potiphar had. At this point, it seems like things are beginning to look up for Joseph. Perhaps what he saw in his dream was now just within reach. But once again, Joseph's life was about to be turned upside down. Potiphar's wife tried to seduce Joseph, but he ran away. So she told Potiphar that Joseph had come onto her. So in his anger, Potiphar threw Joseph into prison. So here Joseph finds himself once again in an unknown place. His position taken away and his freedom removed. This really isn't looking good for Joseph and his dream. And it would have been understandable if in that moment he decided to just give up trying. To just stop trusting that the dreams he had meant anything. 
and just choose to sit around in prison and do nothing. I mean, what would you do if you were in his position? But let's see what Joseph did. In Genesis chapter 39, verse 21 to 23, it says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority, because the Lord was with him, and whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. Once again, Joseph found favor. He was given a position of authority in prison. Now, in one of the worst places he could find himself, Joseph still made the most of it. Now, during his time in prison, the Pharaoh's butler and baker were thrown into prison. And one night, both of them had a dream, but they couldn't interpret it. So Joseph offered to do so, and his interpretation was correct. The baker was sentenced to death. And the butler was released from prison and sent back to work for Pharaoh. So as he was being released, Joseph asked him to remember him. But of course, the butler didn't. Not until two years later, when Pharaoh had these two dreams that troubled him. So the butler told Pharaoh of the guy in prison who correctly interpreted his dream. So Joseph was then brought before Pharaoh and he interpreted the dreams. And here's where things begin to change. Here's when things start to look up, when Joseph's waiting was finally coming to an end. Genesis chapter 41, verse 39 to 41 says, Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over the land of Egypt. Verse 46 tells us that Joseph was 30 years old when this happened when he was given this position of authority, which practically surpassed that of Pharaoh's. And later we read in chapter 42 about Joseph's brothers coming to Egypt to buy food during the famine, an interaction in which they bow down to Joseph. At this point, Joseph was probably around 39 years old. That's 22 years after Joseph had his dreams, 22 years after the promise was made. Only then did he see it come to pass. 22 years is a long time to wait, but Joseph didn't wait passively, even in the challenges he faced. In Potiphar's house in prison, the positions he was given may not have been what he had seen in his dreams, but instead of just sitting around and doing nothing until that happened, he worked, he remained faithful, and he found favor. And in those years of waiting for that dream to become a reality, the work he did, the positions he had, and the responsibilities he was given, they prepared him for the fulfillment of the promise. Had he not done something in those waiting years, he would not have been equipped for the position that Pharaoh had given him. See, what we do while we wait determines how ready we will be for what we are waiting for. So what should we do while we wait? I want to give you four points which I believe will help us wait effectively. Now, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the passages we were reading, there was something that was said just before Joseph found favor. It happened when he was in Potiphar's house and it happened in prison. The scriptures say that the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with him. If I say that I am with someone, it means that they are near to me. They are close. So the first point is, while I wait, I will draw near. 
We need to draw near to God. I want to be able to say that God is with me, that he is close to me. Even when things get difficult, I know that he is right here with me. But here's the thing, though. God does not impose himself on us. God is always ready to be near to us, but we have to be the ones who ask him to come near. James 4 verse 8 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. God is always ready to be near to you, but you have to be the one to invite him in. So where is God with you today? Is he near or is he far? Are you drawing near to him? Are you seeking him, enjoying his presence? Or have you taken a few steps back, allowing the pain of life and its challenges to separate you from him? The second point is, while I wait, I will trust. As challenging as life got, Joseph kept going. He kept working and giving his best. And I am sure that part of his motivation to keep at it was that he knew that God was faithful. Surely he saw how God continued to provide for him, to look after him. So he trusted that God would see him through. We can trust that God will see us through, even when things don't make sense. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 to 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him and he will make your path straight. We can trust that he will get us to where we need to be, regardless of how long it takes. We can trust that God is faithful. The third point, while I wait, I will prepare myself. I said this earlier, through those years of waiting, Joseph continued to work. He made an effort. And what he did during those waiting years prepared him for what God had in store for him. See, if Joseph had done nothing but feel sorry for himself because his dreams weren't coming true, not only would he have risked not receiving that promise, but he would not have been prepared. He would not have been equipped to handle it. So what are you doing during your season of waiting that will help you be better prepared? Are you just sitting around feeling sorry for yourself, doing nothing and wasting time? Or are you equipping yourself, growing and preparing yourself for whatever it is that you are waiting on God for? Be proactive in your waiting. Don't be passive. And the final point, while I wait, I will be expectant. When we are expectant, it means that we are anticipating something and usually it's something good. So when we are expectant, we are eager for something to happen. So wait with a faith that is expectant that it will happen. Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, Faith is the confidence that we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. So our faith should be confident about what we hope for, expecting, anticipating something that hasn't happened yet. Be expectant in your waiting. Be excited about it. Look forward to it and allow that to drive you to deepen your reliance on God, to motivate you to prepare yourself. Be expectant that God will move and your prayers will be answered. So what are you waiting for? And what are you doing to prepare yourself for it? I read something that said, seasons of waiting reveal where we are placing our trust. Where are you placing your trust this morning? In whom are you placing your trust? Is it in God, in his ability and in his timing? Are you trusting him fully in your season of waiting? But here's something else I want to point out. What we do during the waiting will also determine how we respond to not getting what we are waiting for. Now, yes, we wait with expectation. 
We trust and we hope. We have faith, we pray, and we draw near. Yet sometimes the breakthrough doesn't come. The healing doesn't come. The answers to our prayer are an echoing no or absolute silence. What then? How do we respond? What do we do when the thing that we are waiting for doesn't happen? Do we lose hope? Do we lose trust? Do we harden our hearts to God? What we do while we wait affects what happens here too. If our focus is more on what we are waiting for rather than on God, then yes, our response will be hardened hearts and a lack of faith. But if we are drawing near to Him, then we will be prepared for the possibility that we won't get what we are waiting for. And the truth is that if we are prepared for that, we'll be okay. Because we know that God will provide for us. We trust that God knows what He is doing. And we trust that God will comfort us and give us peace. Isaiah 26, verse 3 to 4 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. In the good and in the bad, in the moments of joy and in the moments of mourning, when prayers are answered and when we face disappointment, God is our everlasting rock. If we keep our focus on him, if we continuously trust him, then he will keep us in perfect peace, even when it doesn't make sense. What we do while we wait equips us for the fulfillment of our heart's desires, and it prepares us to accept that we might not get it. Either way, when we draw near to him, then we can say in the valley or on the mountaintop, God is with us. So that's my prayer for you this morning is that while you wait, you will draw near to him. You will trust him. You will prepare yourself and you will be expectant. Don't waste your season of waiting. Allow it to be a time of growth, a time of leaning into God's presence, a time of seeking his wisdom and guidance and a time of equipping ourselves for whatever God has in store for us next. Amen. Let's close and pray. Father, we just thank you that we can trust you. We thank you that we can lean into your presence and that we can find peace and comfort. Father, I pray that in our seasons of waiting, our trust will be placed in you, in your timing, having the confidence that you know what you are doing, that you want what is best for us. Father, I pray that as we wait, we won't just be passive, we won't just wait around and waste time, but we will use our seasons of waiting effectively. That we will draw closer to you, seeking you and your heart. That we will trust you. That we will do what is necessary to equip ourselves in our seasons of waiting. And that we will have a faith that is expectant of what hasn't happened yet. And Father, I pray that as we do these things, as we draw nearer to you, that we will also find comfort in knowing that even if what we are waiting for doesn't happen, we will have peace because we are with you. So we thank you, Father, for your promise, for your faithfulness and for your goodness. And we trust you in our seasons of waiting. Amen. Now may the presence of the Lord be with you. May his peace surround you and may his favor be upon you. May you have a blessed week and we'll see you next Sunday.